Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Dave. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad uh, that we have this opportunity to worship together. And as Gary mentioned, uh, we're in our series called Undone. And we're looking at the things that we do and the things that we leave undone. And we're saying that they matter. They matter on a number of different levels. The, the first level that it matters on is, is literally our character is being shaped thought by thought, behavior by behavior, day by day. We're laying layer upon layer, and th those behaviors stack up and, and ultimately will form our very character. And so God's concerned that we live the life that he designed us for, for our good, and for the good of others. God also wants us to live in such a way that we have impact. He doesn't want any of us to get to the end of our life and look back with regrets at the things that we did or perhaps the things that we left undone. And so we're in this series where we're studying the vices and the virtues um, as a way to look at the warnings of, of life, not the way God intended it to be, and invitations into the life that God has for us. As Gary mentioned, today we're looking at greed, and, and perhaps some of you, when you heard that topic, you went, whew, finally a week off from these twinges of guilt that I've been feeling. Um, but, you know, because greed's not something most of us think we have. But since you're here, uh, let's go ahead and take a look at this anyway. And, and I, as I mentioned, uh, greed is, is something we think is for the other guy. It's something that's out there for the super rich or the wannabe rich. But most people I know, it's not the first thing that they identify with. I've been leading a group of, uh, of guys this last 10 years, somewhere along the line, the group uh, picked up a nickname called Kern and Associates uh, because one of my focuses is to help uh, folks in particular, how do you live your faith out in the marketplace? Um, and so over the 10 years, we have guys cycling through the group. Um, every year, some guys come in, some guys leave. Um, and, and over that course of time, nearly 100 guys have been involved. And I kind of rewound the tape, and I was thinking back over these 10 years. And I cannot remember one time where one of the guys came into group and said, hey, Jeff, I need some time today. That's what we do. We try to create an environment where we can talk about what's going on. We take off the mask. We share uh, our struggles on our inner world, our relational world, our work world. And, and so we can ask for time to just talk with the other guys. Not once in 10 years has anybody said, Jeff, I need some time. I got to talk about this problem called greed. Why? Is it because we don't have greed? Well, actually, it's more common than you might think. The problem with greed is it's really hard to detect. It's hard to see when it's in there. It's actually kind of even sneaky the way it goes about it. Greed likes to hide behind what looks like a virtue. One of my least favorite jobs is to pull the weeds in the mulch beds surrounding our house in the garage. Uh, so to motivate myself, I've made a game of it. I like to go and for sure pull the weeds that are just out there. Some weeds have the strategy. We're just going to be out in the open. We're going to multiply faster than you can pull us. But there's other weeds that I call the sneaky weed. They like to hide out underneath the viburnum or inside the grasses or in the flowers that Jill has planted in the flower beds. And I make it my motivation to find these weeds. And what I've found is oftentimes these weeds even sort of look like the plant they're hiding behind. They've got a strategy. It's pretty interesting. Well, greed is just like that. 
it hides behind what looks like a virtue. It may sound like, hey, I'm just a frugal person. Doesn't the Bible say that we're to be responsible with the things that God has given us? And I've learned how to make a little bit go a long way. And yep, that's a virtue according to the scriptures. It might sound like, hey, I'm just, I'm just a responsible saver. I've been to the Dave Ramsey class. I've learned that if I create a little bit of margin and I get the power of interest working for me and compounding, by the end, I can get there and I won't be a burden to my children. Isn't that a virtue? Yep. The Bible says saving is something God wants us to do, and it's a good thing. It may sound like I'm just a good planner or, or I'm just a hard worker. Once again, the plans of the diligent surely lead to advantage, and the Bible teaches us to work hard to provide for our own needs. These are virtuous actions. But there's a problem when the motive for those good behaviors is greed. So greed is a root issue, and it's far more common than we might think. Justice Florida is the perfect environment for growing weeds. It's hot, it's humid, it rains, it's sunny, it's subtropical. The financial world in which you and I have to go and live every single day, it's the perfect environment for growing greed. Why? Because greed grows best in environments of worry financially, of want, and of need. And so our society really is set up for growing greed. Some of you I know, you're living paycheck to paycheck, and it is hard. And so it's nearly impossible not to worry about that next unexpected medical bill or the next time the car breaks down or that unexpected thing that would put you into a deficit situation. For some of you, you've begun to save and you're finally on the right side of margin. You've got money, uh, a little bit of money left over so that you can begin to save. But you're likely worrying about, can I ever save enough? I mean, it seems impossible to be able to accumulate that much money that I would be able to retire upon. And for some of you, the few of you that have approaching retirement and maybe you've got maybe enough, you're likely to worry, will the market conditions hold? Is inflation going to kick back in? Uh, are we going to have an adverse market condition to cause the value of my portfolio to go down? And then I won't have enough. And so we live in this day and age where greed can easily creep in because we wrestle with worry about money far more than we realize. What I've realized is that greed is really not a money issue. It's an issue of the heart. I've seen greedy rich people. I've seen greedy poor people. What it is, it's a, it strikes like nothing else to the core of our relationship with God. And so this is why Jesus warned us about this. He said that money is actually the number one thing that will compete for your and my heart in our relationship with God. Listen to what he says in Matthew 6, 24. No one can have two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. No one can serve both God and money. The question on the table is who are you and I gonna trust? Where are we gonna put our trust? Are we gonna put our trust in our ability to accumulate? Are we gonna put our trust in our possessions? Or are we gonna put our trust in God? 
who has promised to richly provide for all of our needs. And that's the underlying issue of greed. We've been saying in this series that these vices that we fall into or that we choose to pursue are oftentimes the wrong response to a good desire, the wrong response to a God-given desire. And this is true of greed on many levels. The first thing I see is that greed is the wrong response to your and my need for security. God built you and I with this powerful instinct inside of us that, that is the self-preservation instinct. And when we fear, that kicks in and we wanna take care of ourselves and we wanna protect ourselves. And so we have this need for security. But God wants to meet that need. When, when we choose to meet that need ourselves, we become a candidate for greed. That's when it turns toxic. That's when we stop trusting God and we transfer that trust to ourself, right? And so greed is the wrong desire, right, response to this need for security. When that happens, we'll want to hoard things. But it's also the wrong response to our need for significance, our need to be somebody, our need to make a difference in this world. And God wired us up for that too, right? But he wired us up to be significant with him working with him to advance what he's doing in his universe, what he's doing in his world. That's where our significance lies and the fact that he chose you and me. But again, it goes wrong when we desire to find our significance in our own accomplishments, our significance in our, our material possessions. It becomes exhibit A as to who I am. So when we're trying to be secure, we hoard it. When we're trying to be significant, we flaunt it. We show it off to the world. And so then our self-worth and our net worth, they get all mixed up. And when these things happen, when you feel you have to hoard it, when you feel you need more so you're somebody, you're going to have very, very little room for generosity. Fortunately, the Bible has much to say about this problem of greed. And I'd like to look at a story that Jesus actually told. It's found in Luke chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 12. Um, if not, it's in your bulletin, or you can look it up in your phone. And we're actually going to start in verse 13. And here we're going to see that Jesus tells a story uh, about a man who is struggling with greed. And he's motivated by this need for security, this need for significance. So let's see what Jesus has to say about the problem of greed. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Verse 14, Jesus replied, man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? Now, can you see this picture? This looks like something that could go on today. Jesus is there teaching. He's got a crowd of people around him, and somebody cries out, Jesus, help me. My fill in the gap. No good low-down brother is bilking me out of my inheritance. Tell him to do what's right. Moral teacher Jesus, tell him to share the inheritance with me. And Jesus is like, hey, who, who made me the judge between the two of you guys? But seeing the crowd that is there, seeing the underlying need of the heart, Jesus seizes the opportunity and begins by giving a teaching about greed. Verse 14, or verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out. 
Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He gives a stern warning. Watch out. This thing, greed, and there's all kinds of different types of greed. Greed for money, greed for possessions, greed for time. The underlying meaning of the word greed is basically voracious appetite that is hard to satiate. An appetite that just constantly wants more and more and more. And Jesus says, be careful. That thing is constantly knocking on the door and trying to creep into your heart. Be on guard for this. Because then he says something that should seem abundantly obvious to everybody. That life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. Doesn't everybody know that? Life is not your stuff and you're not your stuff. There's a difference between the two. Well, evidently not. And I would say that we live in a day and age, and I think you will agree, where we can easily confuse that our life and our possessions gets all mixed up. Our identity, our worth can get mixed up with our stuff. The other day I was reading an article, and as I was reading the article, I had to stop and ask myself, is this a joke or is this satire? You know, is, is this real? And, and it was real. It was a Wall Street Journal article on watch etiquette for the powerful on Wall Street. And the article went on to coach people as to which watches you would want to wear in what situation, what circumstance. And so those situations where you want to prove that you are the alpha in the room, you are the person that everybody would envy and everybody wants to be like, that's when you pull out the $50,000 plus watch and you wear the short sleeves so that people, they can make sure that they see it. Right, that's when we wear the power watch to send the signal, look at me. But there's circumstances where you do not want to wear that watch. That watch would be a no-no, especially in a situation like a sales presentation. That's when we go for the dressed down $10,000 watch. Hey, <laughs> we're real. Right, in this situation, you don't want the big power watch because the big power watch sends the wrong signal. You want the dressed down watch because the last thing you want is your prospective client to think that they're overcharging me for their services. They're getting rich off of me. And so in the sales presentation, dress down. Clearly the message is you are what you wear. I would say Jesus sees things a little differently. Doesn't everybody know that life does not consist of your possessions? Verse 16. And he told them this story, this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now, there's a subtle message here, but in an agrarian society, everybody would know the ground is the thing producing the harvest. Sure, this man did what he was supposed to do. He planted the seed, uh, he tilled the ground, he put a little fertilizer in, but this was one of those years. I mean, the rains came at the right time, they came in the perfect amount, there were no adverse weather conditions, there were no plagues that came through, no insect plagues that, that ate up the crops, and he had the harvest of a lifetime. But in this verse, we get a clue about the greedy heart. Notice God's nowhere in the picture. His ego is taking over. Ego stands for edging God out. And it kicks in, and the greedy heart wants all the credit. Verse 17, and then he thought to himself, what should I do? 
I have no place to store my crops? Seems like the right question. It's the question they would teach us to ask when I was in business school. If your harvest is greater than your ability to store it, than all of your storage units, what do you do? You build bigger and better storage units, right? But Jesus isn't teaching a business school class. He's teaching the followers of Christ, which include business people, uh, about this problem of greed. And here again, we get an insight into the greedy heart. Notice his question, the question he is not asking and the question he should be asking. The question he should ask is this, what does God want me to do with all the extra? But this guy is not thinking about God. He's not thinking about his abundance and what he could do to honor God with it. He's thinking about himself. And his assumption is it is all for my consumption. Verse 18, he says, then this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I can store my surplus grains. Again, on the surface, seems like the right thing to do. I'm just going to go build bigger barns. I'd say we live in a day and age of bigger barns, wouldn't you? We even just go home and kind of take a walk through your garage, right, if you've got one. We live in a day and age where we have so much stuff. Have you heard of the KonMari craze? Anybody here heard of KonMari? Uh, Marie Kondo, uh, she has written this book that has become this national craze, made her a multimillionaire. And she basically teaches how to go through all of your stuff, go through your closets, go through your drawers, go through your cabinets, go through your bookshelves, go through your garage, go to your off-site storage unit barns, and go through them all and pull out the things you no longer need, no longer are using. You may even have a little time of remembrance of that pair of jeans, and you thank them, and you set them aside, and you send them on your way, all right? And, and she's making a boatload of money doing this, and, and I think it's great. My wife loves it. She's got me doing it a little bit, and, and we need to declutter. It's, it's actually fun, and it's a good thing. It lowers your stress. But I think it's a hilarious commentary about the day and age in which we live. We need training on how to get rid of stuff. We need books to teach us on how to declutter. We live in the age, in the day and time of bigger barns. If you need stuff to make you secure, you're going to need bigger barns. And this is exactly what this guy is doing in this story. And then in verse 19, we see the heart of the issue. We see the why. Why is he going after more stuff? And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Here we see the two underlying needs that I mentioned earlier. Do you see it? Now I'll have plenty. Now I can feel secure. Now I can rest easy. My heart can be at ease. Why? Because I got a barn full of stuff that'll take care of me for many, many years. He now feels secure in his material possessions. Now, when you're, again, needing material possessions, there's very little room, if any, for giving for the sake of others. But do you also see his need for significance here? Now I'm going to throw a party. Now I'm going to invite all my friends. Now I'm going to invite in the world and show to the world just how successful I am. It becomes exhibit A, for his own significance. 
And so again, when your self-worth is tied to your net worth, you're always going to be vulnerable to greed. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get to have what you've prepared for yourself? The man in the story thinks that he has the rest of his life in front of him to live and to enjoy. But just like he forgot the God factor and how he got the money, he's left out the God factor and how much time he has to live. He presumed that the abundance of his stuff ensured him the abundance of time. But the two have absolutely nothing to do with one another. And so God shows up and tells him, this very night, your life will be required of you. You see, his need was not for bigger barns. He needed more of God. Verse 21, Jesus gives us the conclusion to the story. This is how it will be with whomever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. This is a warning for all of us. The greedy person, according to Jesus, is someone who stores up everything for themselves, but has no room to give towards God, to be rich towards God. Being rich towards God is just Jesus speak for Um, caring for the needs of the vulnerable, caring for the needs of the poor, strategically investing to advance God's kingdom. This is what it means to be rich towards God. And a greedy person is someone who saves carefully, but they give sparingly, if at all. And so the moral of this story is that if your desire to store up material possessions outpaces your willingness to give for the sake of others, that when time runs out, you'll have nothing to show for it. And so Jesus warns us about this problem that attacks our heart called greed. Well, greed can be this pursuit of security and significance, but I think there's an ultimately deeper motive for greed. Greed is also the wrong response to your and my need for worship, our need for worship. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, watch this, which is idolatry. Interesting. Paul says that greed is idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of someone or something other than God. And when we hear this word idolatry, especially in our sophisticated day and age in which we live, we we kind of scoff at it because idolatry for many, it it evokes the idea of underdeveloped people groups that are living uh, on the other side of the planet someplace and they're carving out wood statues and then worshiping the gods of their own creation. And so we see it as something archaic and something totally out of touch for our modern sensibilities. But the truth is, We are just as greedy as they are. It's why we exist. You and I were created for a purpose. We were created for God to be in relationship with him. You and I were created to be reflectors of his glory, to worship him. It's your purpose. It's what you're for. And so we can't help but worship. 
And so the problem is, is when sin entered into the world in the Garden of Eden and man decided to no longer direct his heart's affection towards God, that we now direct our need for worship elsewhere. It doesn't go away. We just change. And so we worship something or someone. Oftentimes we end up worshiping ourselves as the object of our worship, but we can't help but do it. And so this is the wrong response for this need for worship. And our idols, friends, are just as sophisticated as you could possibly imagine. We worship our experiences and we worship uh, the things in our lives, our possessions, and we want to show them off. Our society worships at the altar of money and sex and power. We're just really sophisticated in the way that we go about it. Problem is, when we take that need for worship elsewhere than someplace other than God, it is a great tragedy for your soul and for mine. And we're all subject to this, especially when greed creeps in. This is why Jesus is warning us against this problem of greed. And I want you to know that I understand. I've been following the Lord for a long time. Following God, worshiping God, it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, God is infinite and we are finite. God is perfect and terrifyingly holy. And we, if we're honest, we're sinful and we struggle with our own weaknesses and our our own internal problems. We live in a material world where we relate to one another through the senses, what we see, what we taste, what we touch. And God is in the unseen world. And sometimes he's maddeningly silent. And so worshiping God is a fight of faith. But oh my goodness, it's what we were created for. And the truth is he is there and he loves us and he invites us into relationship with himself. And if we've replaced that with false object of worship, then the great tragedy is you've been cut off from what your soul most desperately needs and is longing for. I like to tell a story about a season of my life where the worry that I was experiencing financially was actually impacting my ability to worship God and experience God in my own life. Back in 2004, I was making the transition from leading an international church planting agency. I'd spent 17 years in ministry. I started in business, I left that, I spent 17 years of my career in ministry, but that was coming to a close for a variety of different reasons. And I felt that this next chapter for me was to go back into the marketplace. But I was worried. Would my skills translate? Would I find anybody who would think that a nonprofit guy could actually lead in the for-profit sector? And to make matters worse, my severance package wasn't very big. It was December when you can't find many jobs and we didn't have much savings. So every day, my burn rate of my own cash in the bank and my expenses were kind of going like this, and I was feeling the pressure. And truth be told, I woke up and I was in a fog. I was discouraged on a daily basis. I I just, it was hard to put one foot in front of the other because I was like really, really afraid. I was worried. One day, I woke up and I was in my office and I got a call And it was my friend up in Michigan, and he had gone through the airport of Detroit, and he ran into a guy who was an executive placement guy. 
And Mike, my friend, told him about me, and, and he said, oh, I'd love to represent Jeff, and, and I'd be happy to help him try to get placed and find a job. And as my friend is telling me this, the phone was in my left hand, and I began fist pumping as Mike was telling me, this guy is going to help me find a job. I went from depressed to like we had just won the Super Bowl. And, and it was that hit me like a ton of bricks. As soon as I hung up the phone, I had this overwhelming sense of conviction, and I just slunk back down in my chair, put my head in my hands, and I said, God, I'm so sorry. Because in that moment, I could see real clearly where my faith was. Here's this guy. I didn't know who he was. I'd already forgotten his name. Says that he can find me a job, and all of a sudden, I have faith and encouragement and joy that he is going to help provide for my need. And in that moment, I could see clearly where my faith was. God, who had sent his son, who had sacrificed everything for me, who has promised to meet all my needs, who has been there my whole life, who has been there in that moment, I couldn't find enough encouragement to trust that he was going to meet that need. And it was real, real clear where my faith was lying. So I pulled out my computer, and I wrote a contract with God. I engaged God as my representative. I wrote Clause 1, you're God. I'm trusting you to provide the right job at the right time for me. Clause two, I'm going to wake up and pursue every lead you give me with everything I've got, and I'm going to work hard. Printed the doggone thing off and signed it. Can't tell you I got a job the next day. It wasn't until May that I got a job, but I can tell you this. Something fundamentally deeply changed in me. The cloud was lifted. I actually looked forward to waking up. I actually felt lighter. I was experiencing the closeness of God and comforted by the promises of God and the character of God that he was going to care for me and I would be just fine. I would be able to provide for the needs of my family. And God came through. I share that story because it illustrates what greed will do to our hearts. It'll cause you and me the greatest tragedy is to miss out on God. When you're transferring your trust from God to stuff, it can never meet your needs. Our stuff is a puny God that is inadequate, and only God can give you and I what we need and what we want. And so we need to trust him. We need to invite him into that space. We need to worship him, not the things of this world. And so I want to draw this morning to a close with an assignment for you, if you're willing. I want to give you a courageous assignment that involves a dangerous prayer. All right? So here's the courageous assignment. I want you to go for a walk through the flower beds of your heart this week, and I want you to look for the weed of greed. Be sure to look behind those virtues and to see if the root motive of greed is there. Now, here's the dangerous prayer part. As you do, I want you to invite God to go on the walk with you and pray this prayer found in Psalm 139. God, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask God to point out what's there. Perhaps you can journal what he shows you. I want to remind you, if God does point something out, this is not so that you feel guilt and so that you feel shame. There is no condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
right? God points out the inadequacies in our heart and our lives so that we can turn from those things that are hurting us and turn to God who will give us abundantly what we need. And so I'd invite you to do this this week. And as you do, uh, come back next week. And I'd like to teach us what the Bible says and how to pull this insidious weed called greed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And uh, sometimes it's pretty hard hitting, Lord. And, and uh, yet that's what we need. It just, like a two-edged sword, cuts right to the heart of the issue. And God, we know we're vulnerable. You wouldn't say be on guard if we weren't. We're vulnerable in the society in which we live to transfer our trust because of worry to our stuff, to ourselves. And when we do, it cuts us off from, from relying on you and looking to you and worshiping you in such a way, Lord, that we can receive your comfort and your provision. And so, God, I just pray for all of us here that we would take the challenge uh, to look deep within our own hearts, that we would invite you into that, that exercise, Lord, and that, God, you would shine the light deep within our souls, point out any hurtful way in us, Lord, so that we can turn that over to you. So I commend each person here to you, to your spirit, and that trust that you'll lead them in the perfect way. In Christ's name I pray, amen.